Matthew chapter 17. I was caught a little off guard this morning by one of our young people, and uh, I asked him, I said, are you ready for Christmas? And the first words out of his mouth were, it's not all about the presents, it's about Jesus. Well, he could have taken that a number of different ways, just as I could have. But he was right, because it's not about the gifts. It's about the greatest gift, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, every year we talk about um, the birth of Jesus at Christmas. And around America, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's actually the most attended service in the world. It's Christmas. Does anybody know what the second most attended is? Easter. Easter, or Resurrection Sunday. You see, without the resurrection, we would have no hope, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul said that if it is in this life only that we have hope, we are of all people the most to be pitied. So I am thankful that we have more to look forward to than this life. There are a lot of struggles that we have, and whether it's financial or emotional or spiritual or, or psychological or physical, whatever it may be, we are here in a world and we are reminded constantly of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom, as Paul says in 1 Timothy, I am chief. So I am thankful for this Christmas. I am thankful that we have the opportunity to be able to remember the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, the greatest time that we should actually be coming together is when we actually have the Lord's table. Because the Lord's table is a reminder that not only did he come the first time, not only were all of the prophecies fulfilled, but the Bible says that he came to his own, his own received him not. The Bible then reminds us that just in Isaiah 53, that he bore our sins on himself. And as he went to the cross, he says from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But it doesn't stop there. You see, the Christmas story is much more than Herod and the wise men and the shepherds coming to, to, to worship, the Lord, worship at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the fact that he was willing to go to the cross. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. And the fact that as he said to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions. And he says, if I go not away, I will not come again. This is really the wonder of Christmas. But you see, it doesn't stop there either because Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and he told them both in the first and the second books because somebody had come along and had told them, hey, we want you to know that you missed it. The Lord Jesus Christ came and you have salvation, but now you've been left behind. And Paul writes to them and he says, no, that's not the case. He is going to come back. 
He is going to return, and when he does, he is coming for all who belong to him. If you're a believer here this morning in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be left behind. He will come for everyone whom he died for. And if your faith is not in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, today it could be. What a great gift is the Christmas gift that can personally be yours, that we can be found in Christ and he in us. So this morning we come to Matthew chapter 17. And I want us to consider just for the next few moments, Matthew chapter 17, maybe a Christmas like you have never considered before. And we are going to stand as we read, if you're able to stand with us, Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents or three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Let me read that last part again. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. May the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word this morning. And thank you. You may be seated. We live in troubled times. For the sake of our time this morning, I'm not going to go into everything, but I would challenge you if you have, or let me ask it this way. How many of you have ever heard the story of the Christmas truce that took place in the trenches of World War I? Okay. You know, actually, that is the largest group of people that I have ever seen that are actually familiar with that story. If you are not familiar with that story, I would recommend going online to YouTube, Wikipedia. There are a number of places where the troops actually fell silent, laid down their weapons, and actually met in the middle of no man's land to summarize the entire story. And all day long, they swapped what little gifts they had with the enemy, only to pick up their rifles once again and to start fighting on the day following. But in the meantime, it was a truce. You see, World War I was supposed to be the Great War. It was the war to end all wars. And unfortunately, there were even a lot of pastors and a lot of Christians that were caught up in all of the fervor that took place around World War I because they thought, well, well, this, this, this great peace is going to come and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to reign in every way. And what we're going to find is that there is never going to be any more wars. And yet, I think if you were to go back in history in the last 105 years now since the end of World War I, you would find that there's only been about two or three years in which this world has not seen war of any kind. 
out of the last hundred and something years. Matthew reminds us that in the end times that there will be wars and rumors of wars. Jesus Christ himself said that there will be wars. And it will continue. But with all of the trouble and, and all of the turmoil and the strife that we find in these distraught times, we find that even Christmas is a troubled time. Many go into debt for gifts that people don't want, for people they don't care about, only to spend the next year paying off the debt to do it all again the following Christmas. And you know, there are a lot of people that spend a lot of money. There are billions of dollars that are spent just in the West. I actually read on the news this morning in one of the first countries that we will have once again after uh, a few years of now going through all the countries and the territories in the world, our very first country is going to be North Korea. Did anybody see the news on North Korea this week? Actually, I believe it was on just this morning about the bottles that they're sending over to uh, North Korea. Did anybody else see that? So there is an organization that uh, puts together a little flash drive and uh, they provide a week's worth of rice for a family of four um, and they put some pictures in there and the gospel is actually included. And this morning they actually launched thousands of these bottles to go with the tides into the shores of North Korea. Now, one of the interesting things, because North Korea has always been a very special place to me. I follow the news uh, every time for whatever reason. And it's one of the countries that I prayed for the most in my entire life and ministry. But one of the things that I did not know was that in 1910, and this is actually included as a track or part of a gospel track that goes into North Korea, is that their ancestors were Christians at one point. Many of them were. In fact, the capital of Pyongyang had so many Christians in it that it was actually called the Holy City. They estimate that 80 plus percent of the population were actually Christians for believers. Well, of course, all of that changed when the Kim family came into power and they decided that they wanted to have the worship that rightly belonged to God alone. And they decided that their family, them as leaders, needed to be worshipped as a god. And that is what the North Korean people believe today. On this little flash drive, they actually have the entire story of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew and Mark is included in its entirety on this flash drive. So those who are able to get this, if they have access to a computer, will be able to actually hear the gospel message. Our prayer should be that many of those will find their way into this country. Why do believers, though, do the same thing when it comes to how they treat Christmas? Again, in our prayer, we mentioned John chapter 14, verse 1, when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Little has changed, for it seems as the disciples walked the dusty roads of Judea and Galilee, they also pondered troubled times. And can you imagine what it, what it would be like to live under the heavy-handed occupation of Rome 
Anytime a soldier saw you, if he wanted to ask you and you were going in the opposite direction, he could compel you to go a mile. The Lord Jesus Christ himself tells his disciples and those who are listening, if a soldier compels you to go one mile, actually walk with him too. And yet at no time did, did Jesus ever act the part of a revolutionary, as some would fraudulently claim. You see, not only did he submit to the will of his father, but he submitted and obeyed both Jewish and Roman law. There was no fault to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even when we find that Joseph, his stepfather, and Mary, and they take him down into Egypt, they are told, they're to, they are told to flee there by the angel in order to be able to protect. But yet, can you imagine what the mothers and the fathers of those families must have felt when all the children, all the males under two years old were murdered? All because one earthly king couldn't stand the thought of a heavenly king. What a tragedy. In many ways, the Jewish people served as slaves to Rome. And yet not one single verse ever encouraged the true believers to revolt. There's no verse that we find in Scripture where they are to start any kind of a revolution or to try to overthrow the government. Instead, the scriptures commanded that slaves were to be obedient to their masters as unto the Lord, and masters were to be honorable in their dealings with their servants as unto the Lord. Surely there must have been times when people like Simon the Zealot actually considered what it, must, what it would have been like to overthrow Rome or to get rid of them once and for all, as the Maccabees had done for a short time. But Christ didn't encourage this. He encouraged peace. In fact, we're going to find that in the Beatitudes where he says, blessed are the peacemakers. On the contrary, the Lord Jesus Christ reminded people that this world is not where his kingdom is to be found. It wasn't a physical kingdom. He never had any plans to become a new and improved rebel leader who would finally accomplish what the Maccabees could not. And despite all of the parables, the disciples held a skewed perspective about how they saw Jesus. In fact, do you remember what Peter himself says to the Lord Jesus Christ when Christ tells him, I'm going to go and I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to have to suffer? What did Peter say? Be it far from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. In the transfiguration, we see the wrong focus that brought the innermost circle of disciples to a point where they spoke from their emotions instead of being led by the renewing of their minds. And the reality is that they were not focused on Jesus only. I can remember down through the years of Christmas, some of my earliest memories are even beyond what some of my family or my mom or my dad can actually remember. And I can still remember some of the gifts that I received from when I was probably in, I would say even right before grade school started. I can remember some of the gifts that my parents bought for me for Christmas. And like a lot of kids, you go through the buildup of Christmas and maybe you sit on Santa's lap for the little kids. By the way, there is no Santa Claus. Everybody here knows that. 
And yet you go through all of this preparation and then you get the gifts. And I can remember one year in particular, we were in England and one of the gifts that I really, really wanted was a bike. You see my sister, who was a year younger than me, she already had a bike. I mean, how fair is that, right? And my brother, who was almost five years younger than me, he had a bike, but I didn't. And I can remember we hadn't been in England that long, and so my parents had all the gifts, and they were around the tree there, and we had some gifts from some other people, and it was the first church that my dad ever pastored. And so we had this little tree there and all of these gifts, and I kept going in there every morning to see what gifts were going under the tree. And, you know, there was no bike-sized gift under that tree. And we got up on Christmas Day, and there were still no bike-sized gift under that tree. And I thought, well, I mean, what a greater opportunity would have been for my parents to get me a bike on Christmas. And so I opened one of the little gifts, and it made a lot of noise, and I opened it, and you know what it was? It was a bike repair kit in a little leather bag. And I remember my dad making this comment. He said, well, he says, whenever you finally get a bike, you'll have something to fix it with. I mean, how fair is that? And after all the other gifts were opened, my dad said, well, maybe that bike kit might fit what's there in the other room. And I went in there and there was a five-speed Raleigh Olympus bike. I rode that bike all over the place in the county that we lived in. But you know, one of the things that that did for me is it reminded me, it began to remind me at that point, I had, was just, I had just become a teenager and I realized that the gifts were not what was important, it was the ones who were given the gifts. And there are times that we come to Christmas and there are times that we come to our life, we come to the salvation that we've been given and, and it becomes really perfunctory. We give a little thank you and we run off and we grab the gift and we run off and we think that that's what's most special. When we get to heaven one day, it will be a Christmas to remember, if you will. It will be an Easter resurrection to remember in that we will remember the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. The blessings that he gives us down here in Ephesians chapter one, we find a number of these blessings but that's not what's going to be on our mind. It's going to be the giver of life. In a very intimate setting here in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus and the three disciples go for a walk, Peter, James, and John. Away from all the others who are clamoring for the Messiah's attention, he leads them up a mountain. And as he goes up into the mountain, it's been six days now, <coughs> and Peter gives his startling admission, or is just given his startling admission that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of the living God. And of course, we hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ when he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ shares at that time that he would build his church and he would soon have to suffer. And again, Peter rebukes the rabbi who in turn is called to account as Jesus tells his disciple, this impetuous disciple, that he is only savoring the things of man and not the things of God. 
We should be grateful when we hear the testimony and when we hear words like I heard this morning that I shared with you that it is not about the gifts, it is about Jesus. Jesus gives a short discourse on the importance of dying to self. And that to fulfill the will of God, each person who is a true believer must take up their cross and deny themselves. How often is that the picture that we paint at Christmas? You know, as we get older, sometimes it gets a little bit harder, but we kind of go through these stages, don't we? When we're, we're, when we're little, we really don't think about the giver. We just think about the gifts and, and what's there for me. And, and when we get all done, it's like there's kind of a disappointment because maybe we didn't get all the things that we wanted. And then we get a little bit older and we realize that it is the person who is giving the gifts. And, and maybe as, as young people, maybe you did as well, like maybe your children do. And we make these little trinkets or we make these little things to give to mom and dad. And then after a while, as we grow older, we realize, hey, wait a minute, I, I could go through Christmas this year without a single gift and it wouldn't make any difference to me whatsoever. It's just the time that we get to spend with one another that's important. Now, six days later in Matthew 17, Jesus is transfigured before them. His glory has been revealed to them in a way that they would not see again. Not until they get into glory itself. The word here is the word that we use, metamorphosis, or, or to change. And he is changed and, and his divine glory becomes evident. His face becomes like the sun and his garments are white as the light. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? to be able to be almost blinded by this glory that, that surrounds the Lord Jesus Christ. This one who, who not too many years previous had been just a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes in the manger. And as these three disciples watch, Moses and Elijah appear as well. Moses, of course, representing the law and the commandments while Elijah represents the prophets. Peter, always the spokesman, announces that it is good for them to be there. And he says, let's build a place of worship, one for you and one for the law and one for the prophets. This would have been similar to a, a skin-covered dwelling place such as the ark of God dwelt in or rested in during the time when there was no temple in Jerusalem. Who knows what was going on in the mind of Peter? Was it possible that as he was considering this time and he's considering Moses and Elijah and the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe he's thinking, well, if we've got the Messiah, if we've got God himself with us, we don't need that temple. We'll just worship right here. We'll enjoy the presence of God where we're at. But then a cloud comes down upon them. And they hear a voice from heaven. This is the voice of God. And the voice doesn't address the presence of the law and the presence of the prophets. You see, Moses and Elijah were the forerunners to point to the one who stood glowing in their midst. It wasn't Moses and Elijah that were glowing. It was Jesus Christ. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, they, they were present for a time, but 
But now there's a new covenant that is about to be put into place. And the voice says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Do you remember when we heard this before? There are several proclamations that are found throughout scripture. If you go all the way back to Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah is speaking and he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. We find the cherubim are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. It would be about 650 to 700 years later after Isaiah writes that the sky is filled over the pastures of of the area around Jerusalem where the Paschal lambs would have been taken care of by the shepherds. And there is with an angel, the host of heaven gathered around them singing glory to God in the highest, Luke chapter two, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. What must the disciples have thought? What must the shepherds have thought? What must it have been like for the wise men a couple of years later when they come into the house where Mary is there with Jesus and they come and they bow down before him and they present to him the gifts worthy of a king? Amazingly, one of them being frankincense and myrrh. Gifts that would remind him, that would remind Mary, that would remind them that death was coming. The voice spoke out of the bright glowing cloud and forced them to do what any person would do when they come into contact with the divine glory of Christ. And they're in the presence of a holy God and they fall to their faces. They fall on the ground with their faces in the lowest place that they can find. They know that they are in the very presence of God just as others did throughout the Old Testament every time the glory of God showed up. The disciples know the accounts of what took place and they are afraid. This is not a a mere phobia. This is is not like somebody who is maybe a little bit afraid of the dark or or maybe if you have arachnophobia, you're afraid of a spider or whatever it may be that you might have a fear of. This word here, these two words actually indicate that they are violently or vehemently afraid to the point that they are shaking. They are scared to death that they are in the presence of God. Do you remember what happened in the Old Testament when somebody came in to the presence of God? They were afraid that they were going to die. You realize that throughout the world today, there are a lot of people who will tell you, and you can hear it on TV channels, on the internet, you can find it just about anywhere. There are a lot of people who will tell you that it's acceptable for you to say that you have actually had an encounter with Jesus. There's one woman who actually wrote a series of books and it's become very, very popular. She passed away recently and in that she stated that she used to get up and have a cup of coffee with the literal Jesus every morning. No, if you and I actually came into contact with Jesus Christ, we also would put our face in the ground. These three grown men, all three fishermen, rough, tough guys. I mean, they faced some of the greatest storms that the Sea of Galilee could ever throw at them. And here they are, they are trembling on the ground. But Jesus, but Jesus... 
He approaches them. He touches them. He soothes their troubled thoughts. He tells them not to fear. And then he raises them to their feet. What a picture we have of salvation because we find in Romans chapter 8, for example, in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The disciples had nothing to fear being in the presence of the glorified Christ. They didn't have to worry because the glorified Christ had them right where he wanted them to be. Their quaking subsides and as they stand to their feet, verse 8 reminds us they lifted up their eyes. They saw no one but Jesus only. The law and the prophets had held the people captive until the Son of God could come, Galatians chapter 4. And he took on human flesh as we see in the book of Isaiah chapter 9 and chapter 7, chapter 53, chapter 55. And as they see Jesus, it will be a few days yet before he is delivered to death. And then they will go from seeing the sublime and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will see him as no other man could ever make it, could ever live. In fact, Isaiah says that he didn't even resemble a human hanging on the cross. After his death and resurrection, the disciples would be able to understand the words that he said to them. The disciples will know the significance of what has occurred on the top of that mountain. And in fact, we're reminded of this in the book of 2 Peter. And, and John also says, he says, we were there with him on the mountain. We know, we testify that these things are true. The prophets' rules, words, laws, statutes, and commandments, they, they, they could never restore full fellowship with God. These things were meant to show the wide gap between a holy and righteous God and depraved humanity. So it's understandable that the disciples' hearts were troubled. And instead of focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're concerned about building a tent. They want to give continued honor to the law and the prophets. But Jesus Christ in this passage we see at the words of God the Father himself, Jesus Christ shares his glory with no other. The transfiguration would forever be ingrained in the hearts and minds of these disciples as, as they go. Do you remember what happened in Luke chapter 24? Do you remember the two disciples as they're walking on the road to Emmaus? And somebody comes up that they don't know and he walks beside them and they say, we don't understand. Are you a stranger here in Jerusalem that you don't know what is what has taken place? And so they share with him. And this man who walks with them says, Oh, fools and slow of heart, do you not understand that these things that took place had to take place? And beginning with the law and the prophets, he expounds to them the scriptures. And then he comes, and of course, to cut the story a little bit short, they, he comes into the house with them, and they give him some bread, and he breaks it, and he disappears from their sight. And these two disciples say, did not our hearts burn within us? As he talked with us, by the way. This one who was dead and was buried and rose again kept himself hidden from those disciples for a reason. 
There are times that we look at scriptures. We have been blessed here in America and in the English language that we have the entire word of God here in front of us. It doesn't just contain the word of God. It is the word of God. And we can read from cover to cover and we see this scarlet thread that runs from the beginning, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And then as John prays, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. I mean, here's, here's John, the apostle John. He's by now, he's pushing close to 100. He has gone, he has been exiled to the island of Patmos, a rocky island two miles by five miles in length out, out in the middle of the sea. And as he is there and previous to that, he has put, tradition says, in a pot of boiling oil, the emperor tried to kill him and he doesn't kill him. And he goes through all of these things. And yet John still remembers what it was like to see Jesus in all of his glory. And this is the same Jesus that he sees in Revelation chapter 1. You see, the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's not the revelation of St. John the Divine, it's the revelation of Jesus. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Wow. Now that would have been something to write about. And yet before long he would be on another mountain on Mount Calvary. Can you imagine? They've just gone through the probably the highest euphoria of their entire lives. And not just a couple of weeks later, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came as a babe in a manger, he's grown up around the area of Judea. And the Lord Jesus Christ goes to the cross, and now their entire world comes crashing down. Can you imagine what they must have felt knowing that their master, their Messiah, the one that they had all of this hope in is now dead. They watched him die. They were watching him from afar because all of the disciples had forsaken him. See, nobody put it together that the Lord Jesus Christ had to die so that he could come back to life again so that they could have salvation. When Jesus took the three men up to the top of the high mountain, he has removed them from all of the world's distractions. Once he is transfigured, he is removed from their hearts and their minds, the distraction of what he came to fulfill in its entirety. Christ doesn't discount the law or the prophets, but he wants them to understand that all the glory belongs to him. He was sent by the Father to do the will of the Father so that we might have eternal life. Yes, Christmas is about Jesus. The resurrection is about Jesus. Despite his miserable failings, despite all of his sin, 
Peter and his two fellow disciples, they, they don't forget that they've seen the majesty of Jesus. And I submit to you this morning that if you have ever come to the point in your life where you have recognized the Lord Jesus Christ truly in all of his glory, you will never forget who he is. You will never forget what he has done for you. You will never forget that despite the fact of all of the depravity that is in your heart and mind, that the Lord Jesus Christ set his eternal love upon you. It's the greatest Christmas gift that you could ever receive. Friends, in today's world, we do live in a time of trouble. And it's only going to get worse. I believe the scripture is very clear about that. The end times that things will go from worse to worse. You can read this in 2 Timothy where Paul writes to young Timothy and he tells him a list of all of the things that looks like it's right off of today's front headlines. And whatever your position, I don't believe that we can look at the current state of the world and think that it's getting better and better. The reality is everything that we have around us, it's not about this. You may be able to go back like I do in your memory. And, and to me, Christmas is, part of it is the nostalgia. You hear certain music and, and you recall a certain memory or maybe a, a time that you thought was a better time. Or maybe there were times in your life that you've had a worse Christmas than you're having this year. And the reality is this. This Christmas in 2023, God has brought you here for a very specific reason. And that is to bring honor and glory to himself. Not to Yellowstone, not to Mark, not to anybody else here, but to him. For all who are true believers, by placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, it would be a blessing if maybe through this brief message you could catch a glimpse of his majesty. You know, I had the privilege a number of years ago, I was actually with a group of GIs in England and we were touring through London. And I remember going up to Buckingham Palace because everybody who goes to London has to go to Buckingham Palace just because you might see somebody special. And I had my camera around my neck. It wasn't a digital camera. We didn't have those. It was a film camera. And we've been going around and we've been taking pictures of everything. And as we stood there, I was walking down by the side gate and all of a sudden the gates open and I looked around and there was nobody else there. And I knew they weren't inviting me in for tea or anything. And here comes a couple of cars and I looked around and I've still got my camera on my neck. And here comes the royal family, all proceeding out of the gates and they took off. And I was from, I was closer than from here to the, the chairs here from the entire royal family. And yes, I still had my camera around my neck. But I never got a picture. Everything happened so fast. But I did get a glimpse of Her Majesty. 
I got a glimpse of the one who would become his majesty, King Charles. But I can remember years ago what Trump that would be a couple of years later when I got a glimpse of the majesty of Jesus. And you know, this, this Christmas, maybe there are some things that you need to put aside. Maybe there are some things maybe that you just need to spend time with you and God and be reminded that it's not about the gifts. It's about the giver. That it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about seeing him only. Do you remember what Christ tells Thomas after his resurrection? That there are going to be those who believe. And there are going to be those who believe and yet they will not have seen. But they're still blessed. All of the troubles and the trials that we have in this life, one day they will be gone. And as the little saying goes, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. One day, my friends, these shadow lands are going to disappear. One of these days, all of your kids, they're going to be grown. Your grandkids, they're going to come and they're going to be grown. And some of you may be great-grandparents here. And one day as they grow, then you'll be gone and life will continue. And as C.S. Lewis once put it, he said, these shadow lands will disappear because that's all these are. All we get is a little bit of a shadow. We see the beauty of the snow. We see the beauty of the evergreens. We see the beauty of the tinsel and the lights and all of the different things that surround Christmas. And, but right now it's a dead season. There's nothing growing. But spring is coming. And when spring comes, it's one of my favorite times of the year as we get to see everything turn into green. We get to see the flowers start to bloom. But you know what it reminds me of? Every time spring comes at some point or the other, I always make a trip out by a cemetery because I want to be reminded that just because life is coming, in this life we still have to face death. But one day, death will be swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? See, that's the greatest part about Christmas is the fact that the resurrection is coming. The greatest part about Christmas is the fact that we get an eternity to look forward to where the gifts will never end and we will get to be with him whom our soul loves. We shall behold the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his splendor, in all of his glory, and all of his power, and all of his majesty. For all of eternity, we will get to remember him for who he is and what he has done. Today, I want to challenge you. Put aside your earthly affections. Paul told the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 3, and once again set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. This will all decay. That bike that I got when I was 13, probably been made into tiny little razor blades somewhere down the rail line. I still remember the bike. I remember the memories. But sometimes that's all we have left are memories. 
And the memory that should carry you through the most is the one that focuses your attention on the author and finisher of your faith and of my faith. The one who granted us eternal life when he didn't have to. The one who came to make Christmas possible. And one day when he who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and came back to life, was resurrected, and as Paul said, comfort one another with these words that one day we will be with him. And truly, it will be a Christmas, a day, an eternity to remember. Amen. Father, I am thankful for your word this morning. I am thankful for this little picture that we had of the glory of Christ. I cannot imagine what it must have been like for the disciples to see, and yet they still had sin-darkened eyes. And I cannot imagine what it'll be like in a day when there will be no sin to cloud our hearts, our minds, or our physical eyes, and we will be able to see the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Not just the giver of good gifts, but the greatest gift himself. We look forward to that day, and with the Apostle John, who wrote almost 2,000 years ago now, we say also, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We grow older, we have more struggles, we have more turmoil, the world seems to grow worse and worse around us. And yet I am thankful this Christmas season that the Prince of Peace still rules and reigns, that he is Lord of all, that he is the Lord of lords, he is King of kings. And the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have been given a name which is above every name, and one day every knee will bow. May this Christmas be that Christmas for those who may not know you as Lord and Savior. May this be that Christmas where their knee bows, proclaims him Lord of all. We thank you, Father, for this time, and may each family be encouraged as they sit around together and enjoy their meals, enjoy their times of fellowship, as each one opens the gifts that they will receive, help each one of us to remember, though, the greatest gift. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.